Today on Night Night Spectre, we're being honesty, solving puzzles, and unearthing the truth all before shit gets weird. Er, We're truly living our best Evie, Carnahan, O'Connell lives. Until we're not. As we discuss the tomb. Spectre, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and splintered mind of Moon Knight. I'm your host, Elizabeth. And I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the show. This is the fourth episode of Moon Knight on Disney+, and it was a wild ride. And in Moon Knight fashion, it left us incredibly excited for more. There's honestly almost too much to talk about for this episode, but we'll try our best not to go too far down the rabbit hole on the show today. But first, a little housekeeping. We like to hear from our listeners, so email us at nightnightspectre at gmail.com. That's N-I-G-H-T-K-N-I-G-H-T-S-P-E-C-T-O-R at gmail.com with your thoughts and questions, and you might see them appear in a future episode. You can find Lawrence at by underscore LK on Twitch and Twitter. And you can find Elizabeth at itsrizbif, I-T-S-R-I-Z-B-I-F on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, you can connect with the Lore Party team on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Lore underscore party. And as always, before we dive in, if you haven't watched the fourth episode of Moon Knight, The Tomb on Disney Plus yet, now is your time to pause and go watch that if you don't want to hear any spoilers. And so now that we've officially warned you, let's get into it. All right. So here's a little summary of what happened on this episode. We open with Osiris's avatar carrying Khonshu's Ushapti into a room filled with other imprisoned gods. We are then taken back to Layla trying to wake up Steven to no avail as a truck of gunmen drive up with bullets flying. Layla and an unconscious Steven roll down the sand dune, giving Layla just enough time to get into the back of the vehicle, find a flare, and hatch a plan that ends in her using her attacker's own ammunition to kill them. Layla and a now conscious Steven make their way to the tomb in their car. While driving, Layla tries to convince Steven that they're going to need Mark if they're going to go up against Harrow. However, Steven refuses and admits to Layla that him and Mark made a deal that once Conchu was gone, Mark would disappear for good and Conchu is gone now. To which Layla points out the fact that they both made this decision for her husband to disappear without her consulting her about it as if it wasn't going to affect her. And Stephen counters that with the fact that technically Mark had made himself disappear from her life before their deal was even made. Layla admits that Mark would want to lone wolf this anyway, but they're not going to do that. Stephen and her will work together. The two head off on foot to find the tomb. Once they get to Harrow's camp, they notice that the place seems deserted. There's only camels, which Stephen of course says hello to, and traces of blood. While checking for supplies amongst the tents, Mark tries to convince Stephen to let him take over, citing that without Conchu, there's no healing, no suit, but Stephen doesn't care. When Mark tries to comfort Stephen, telling them that he's not alone, Stephen says, I know I'm not alone. I've got Layla. She's got my back. And now Mark is suspicious. He asks Stephen if he's in love with his wife, and Stephen masterfully deflects and walks away from them. 
While Layla is helping Steven get his gear on to descend into the tomb, the two share a cute moment where Steven reveals he feels like he's been waiting his whole life for this adventure. Layla goes in for a kiss, but Steven interrupts that by blurting out that Mark's trying to protect her from Conchu, and that was why he was pushing her away. That he thinks Conchu wants her for the next Avatar, and Mark's not going to let that happen. Layla, while a little confused as to why Steven's just sharing this now, says that she doesn't need protection. She needs honesty, which is more of a Steven thing, clearly. And then Steven throws any bro code out of the window and kind of awkwardly kisses Layla. After which, unsurprisingly, Mark's able to take over part of the body just long enough to punch Steven in the face. Layla gracefully belays down into the tomb, while Steven basically falls in the hole or is thrown down by Mark. Who knows? And then Steven starts geeking out about something written in the sand, which Layla admits to doing in memory of her father, who would have loved to be here. Layla then tells him about her father and how he was an archaeologist on a mission. It was a dream worth dying for, and he did. And in soft boy Steven nature, he gives his condolences and tells her that her father would be beaming to see her there. Then it's smart boy Steven's time, as they enter the room that has six path options. He cracks the code for which of the six paths they need to take to get to Amit's Ushapti, figuring out that the maze is just the Eye of Horus. The two realize that just based on the amount of resources needed to build this, that Amit's last avatar must have been a pharaoh. And if the avatar of Amit would be her mouth, they would need to go to the path that symbolizes the tongue. After starting down the path, the two come across a room with Heka priests on the wall and mummified trespassers on display. Steven starts freaking out as he notices fresh blood and meaty bits on the altar in front of him. Layla looks over the tools and the jars used for mummification pretty recently by the hue of the blood and tells Steven, let's keep moving. He does not disagree, but wants to go another way that isn't following the trail of blood and bones. But once Steven finds another way out in the upper level of the room, gunshots are heard in the distance. As the gunshots stop, they begin to hear what can only be described as clicker noises, and the two hide as they witness an undead Heka priest drag one of Harrow's men onto the altar and start taking out his organs. Layla, who is hiding on one side of the altar, tries to crawl away as Stephen watches from above, but Layla bumps into a jar, giving her position away to the Heka priest, which causes Stephen to gasp and move the priest's attention to him. Layla throws a jar at the wall as a diversion and allows them both to run away in separate directions. Layla's going the way stained with blood, and Steven is going the way that he found, but not before pushing a workbench off the upper level to squish the priest to stop it from chasing Layla. As Layla goes through the tomb, she stumbles upon a giant deep opening in the ground that forces her to attempt to get across by carefully walking across the wall's edge, dodging priest hands coming out of the wall. Once she's seemingly safe across the other side, she's quickly grabbed by another Heka priest and pulled into a dark opening in the wall. However, Layla is no damsel in distress. She's a boss-ass, highly capable bitch that holds her own against the priest and comes out victorious. Though understandably out of breath and frustrated by the interaction, Layla starts to get off the ground. She notices Harrow standing at the other end of the hole. We are then taken to Stephen as he walks into the pharaoh's tomb. While Stephen's geeking out about the possibility of which pharaoh's tomb this must be, Mark interrupts this brainstorming sesh, bringing Stephen back down to earth by saying, so you kissed her. And while Stephen deflects again, Mark seems to overlook or at least not make it as big of a deal. 
because Steven also told Layla the truth about why he's been pushing her away, and that was unexpected to him. Steven then goes back to geeking out over the sarcophagus that's in front of him, realizing that they're looking at the long-lost tomb of Alexander the Great. Then we go back to Harrow, who compliments how Layla handled herself against the Hecapriest, but Layla is not dealing with Harrow's bullshit and tries to walk away. But when Harrow starts talking about her father, she can't help but stay to hear him out. And because this episode wants us to stay in suspense, we're then taken back to Stephen again. After opening the sarcophagus, Stephen figures that Alexander being the voice of Amit and the Ushapti needing to be hidden in a place that looters wouldn't think to look must mean that it would be hidden inside the mummy. Going in from the mouth of Alexander, all while profusely apologizing to Mr. Great, Stephen digs inside the mummy for the Ushapti to Mark's clear enjoyment. And now we're back to Layla and Hera. As Hera continues, he alludes to Mark being one of the mercenaries that killed Layla's father. Hera says that he hopes Layla finds closure, and as Layla walks away, he yells, Wake up! Hera's men then come up to him, letting him know that they've found another way into the tomb. We then see Stephen pull Ametsu Shapti out of Alexander the Great. Moments later, Layla walks slowly into the tomb, clearly distraught. Stephen lifts up the Ushapti, happily says, Layla, look, we won. And after continuing to make joking remarks and tell her how he got it with no reaction from Layla, Stephen asks her what's wrong. After asking if Mark can hear her, Layla starts asking Mark what happened to her father. Stephen then trades spots with Mark, but rather than answering Layla's question or saying anything to acknowledge what she just said, Mark instead tries to get Layla to leave the tomb right now. But Layla is not giving up on this. She asks him point blank if he killed her father, to which we finally get an answer from Mark, which is of course not, but he admits that he was there. Layla then asks how her father died. Reluctantly, Mark explains to Layla that his partner got greedy and executed everyone at the dig site. As we see how upset Layla is, Mark continues. He tells her that he tried to save her father, but he couldn't, and he too should have died that night as well because he was shot. But that doesn't help console Layla. She's just more upset and frustrated because now she thinks the only reason they did meet was because he couldn't save her father from dying and he had a guilty conscience. But as Mark tries to think of what to even say back to that, they're interrupted by a thudding noise, letting them know that they will soon have company. Mark tells Layla to find another way out and he'll hold them off. Moments later, Harrow and a lot of people with guns enter the tomb. Harrow condescendingly asks Mark, just you, then continues to tell Mark that he remembers how it was when he woke up and knew Kanchi was gone. The quiet was liberating. He then says, now that Mark's a free man, he's got an important decision to make, referring to whether or not Mark is going to cooperate with him. Mark acts as if he's going to cooperate, but as one of the gunmen walks up to him, Mark attacks him as well as others. Harrow does not hesitate and pulls out a gun and shoots Mark in the chest. We see that as Layla is hiding, she's still watching this exchange. As Mark stumbles back, trying to hold on to the sarcophagus for balance, Harrow shoots him a second time in the chest and Mark falls backwards into the water. As Mark hits the water, Harrow says, I can't save anyone who won't save themselves. We then see Mark's body from under the water as it sinks down towards a white light. As Mark fades into the light, it starts to swing, changing into a light of a flashlight held by a young man. The widescreen view we've been accustomed to has also changed to standard. We then see that the young man is not alone. He's with an older gentleman who turns out to be Dr. Stephen Grant. 
And as the audio adjusts, we see the screen move back to reveal that we're watching a movie on a white TV, sitting on a white table in a white walled room. And then we see white haired, white clad Crowley calling out bingo numbers. And every Lemire fan at this point should be geeking the hell out because I know I was. As we go around the room, we see Bobby and orderly now. We see Donna sitting down, holding a stuffed animal scarab. We see another orderly give a cupcake to a patient who is drawing a bird with Conchu's head. We see Gus the goldfish. And then we see Billy, also an orderly here, parking the wheelchair of a drugged up Mark in front of a glazed window that he's able to see his reflection in. Mark's favorite spot, apparently. Layla then appears, also a patient, to let Mark know she's changed the movie. She then looks at Mark's bingo card and realizes that he's won. They've won, she corrects herself, and then raises the card to say, I've won. Before she walks away, she whispers, I'll share it with you this time, I swear. Then Mark calls for Steven, but he's not in the reflection. He doesn't answer. Mark attempts to get up from the wheelchair. However, he falls, dropping a Moon Knight action figure he was holding, realizing that he has an ankle restraint on that's holding him back into the wheelchair. Billy comes over to help Mark up into the wheelchair. As we then look closely at Mark's face, we hear Harrow say, I know that you're having a great deal of difficulty being able to differentiate between what's real and what's in your head. We learned that the movie we saw previously was brought by Mark and is called Tomb Buster. We then see a blurry Harrow mention that he liked the villain in the movie, reciting what he refers to as a good line. No tree can ascend to the light of heaven if it doesn't descend to the depths of hell. Then says the plot makes a real meal out of the lunar god. And didn't you say that you worked for one? As the sedative starts to wear off Mark, we're finally able to see Harrow clearly. As Harrow continues to talk, Mark looks around the room, recognizing familiar thing after familiar thing. He starts to repeatedly mutter, everything reminds me of. Harrow asks what he's reminded of, his past or Steven, which prompts Mark to ask, you know Steven? As Harrow continues to talk, Mark starts to tune him out and look around the room at those same familiar things again, and then looks back at Harrow and says, you shot me, twice each time with a little more Mark attitude that we're used to. As Mark turns around to look at the door, Harrow tries to keep him calm, but Mark is not listening to him. He gets up and stumbles to the door as Harrow continues to try to get through to him. In his continued effort to get out of the room, Mark breaks the glass of the window to open the door. As Mark gets out of the door, Billy catches him with Bobby right behind him, but Mark was able to get away. As he runs through the white hallways, Mark notices the lights and carts are swaying as if they're on a boat. But he continues running until he finds an open room that he can hide in. As Billy and Bobby run past the room, he turns away from the door and we hear a thud and see a confused look on Mark's face. We then see there's a sarcophagus in the room. The thudding is coming from inside. As Mark gets closer, he can hear a voice pleading to let him out. Mark opens the sarcophagus to find Stephen existing in a separate body. They are both so happy to see each other they hug, though it doesn't take long for Stephen to pull away and ask Mark how this is possible. Mark says he doesn't know, and then asks Stephen what the last thing is that he remembers. To Mark's clear excitement and relief that he's not crazy, Stephen says he remembers that Harrow shot them. With that confirmed for him, Mark tells Stephen they've got to get out of here, so they leave the room, and as they enter the hallway, more thudding can be heard, 
In the next room, there is another sarcophagus that someone else is clearly in. Possibly Jake. But they continue towards the double doors at the end of the hallway. However, they pause as they see a shadow of a figure come towards the doors from the other side. The doors are then pushed open by hippo-headed Egyptian deity Tarwet. The three stand there for a second, looking at each other in silence. Tarwet does a little wave and happily says hi, which Mark and Steven react to by screaming, concluding this wild ride of an episode. So with that summary, let's get into our overall thoughts. I think, for me, this was hands down my favorite episode. Like, considering where we left off, I have high hopes that the next one will probably take that title. Um... I also just generally want to start a free Jake Lockley campaign. Sorry, Conchu, because I really need that reveal. But anyway, uh, as a huge fan of the Lemire run, I like literally squealed, they're doing it, as soon as I saw the White Walls and Crawley. Like, I have to say that despite clearly being in love with the direction that this episode took at the end, though my favorite part of the episode was generally just Layla. Like, this woman has already proven in previous episodes that she knows how to hold her own in a fight, but, like, she really went through a lot of shit in this episode. From having to deal with whatever feelings may or not be arising for Steven, to facing Hecka Priest, to not only having to cope with being in a place that her father would have loved to be in, but also having to deal with uncovering the truth of his death while trying to save the world from Amit's wrath. Like, even just her conversation with Harrow... Layla always turns away when she is feeling too much just so that Harrow wouldn't get the satisfaction of seeing how much pain she's truly in. And if if I were Khonshu, I'd honestly want her as my next avatar too. Like, she is my hero at this point. <laughs> um, I mean, I think my, my overall thoughts is, like, this was kind of an unexpectedly amazing episode. Um, I read somewhere that the director so that he treated every two episodes as a singular movie. And I feel like this was really good, a good wrap up for the second, uh, the second act of the movie or, you know, the second act of like this trilogy, like we got some questionable non-monogamy, the mummy meets clickers from the last of us. And then an amazing adaptation of the Lemire run on screen, uh, which was probably one of my favorite retellings of Moon Knight's origin story. You know the fact that they packed all of this into a sing the fact that they packed all of this into a single episode is like nothing short of amazing. You know everyone continues to play the hell out of their roles and the symbolism and callbacks for like absolutely amazing and had me on the edge of my seat. But I think the most I think but the thing I'm most excited for is the you know another less than subtle tease of our favorite murderous cab driver Jake Lockley. Hashtag free Jake Lockley. He didn't do anything. <laughs> We're starting the campaign. It's real. <laughs> but also in this episode, you know, everything pretty much centered around uh, Mark, Layla, and Arthur. And, you know, Stephen off shooting from Mark. But, like, everything, every character was in rare form today in this episode. I feel like everybody just keeps getting a little bit better every episode. Absolutely. Like... We knew that there was like weird a weird connection between Layla and Steven. Um, and I think that was put on uh, full display in this episode. Like Layla's been making eyes for Steven. And, you know, at first it seemed like Steven was going to be a little bit more res- like it seemed like Steven was going to be a little bit more respectful. But 
you know, Mark obviously fucked up enough of Steven's dates, like the whole steak thing from the first episode. Right. But like awkward, awkwardly kissing Mark's wife that he's been trying to divorce because he's running away from his problems is probably like low list. It's probably low on the list of karma that Steven deserved to dish out. But you know what would solve this whole thing? What? Polyamory. Absolutely. Except I think you would need three bodies for that. Mm, I feel like that's <laughs> debatable. And we definitely will debate that on another episode. <laughs> Especially once we get into the, the comics. And, you know, Steven proved in this episode also that he was the king of deflection. Like, every time Mark asked him about something, like, you know, oh, so you love my wife? Or like, oh, so you kissed her? Stephen would just continue to move the conversation on to whatever they were doing currently, which was tracking down this, tracking down Ahmed Sushapti. He really was, like, not about to talk to himself about his feelings for his other, his his alter's wife. Yeah, literally, I love the lines that he has after those, like, oh, if I need a protein shake, like, I'll call you, or like, oh, are, are you just going to drown us now? Like, no acknowledgement or whatever of what was just asked, but I mean, also, Mark, I don't know why we're we're all surprised at all, like, Mark, this is just, like, getting a taste of Mark's own medicine with his lack of responding to any of Layla's questions. <laughs> I also just found the conversation that Mark and Steven had about like, oh, yeah, I got the muscle memory somewhere deep down. I think it's just funny to see in this episode, like they do acknowledge these small little aspects and that that show that these are two different personalities, two different people um, like inhabiting the same and same the same body. Like, yeah, Steven is not the most athletic or physical person, but he's smart and resourceful. And, you know, he gets that really shines in this episode. But I do like that line where he was like, yeah, you know, it's all down there in muscle memory. And and Mark just looks at him and says, like, I don't think it works that way. And we see that it definitely (laughs) doesn't work that way. It truly doesn't. I simply like just based off of their like moves alone (laughs) without the interact with Layla. There is no muscle memory (laughs) there. Mark is Mark and Steven is Steven. Yeah. And it's. It's like, you know, really good job of Oscar Isaac just like playing a role next to himself like that. Like it is very it's it's those like little things that honestly like builds each of these characters. Yeah. And that's why I think both of us are so excited about like the reveal of Jake, hopefully now to see like just another opportunity for Oscar Isaac to show his his acting talent. Yeah, because Jake's got to come sometime. We've had enough teasing of Jake. And like offshoot side note, I always felt like uh, if they are treating these as like individual movies, then it was like the first two were Steven, second two were Mark, and then hopefully the last two involved Jake in some way. Yeah. So, but we'll see. Only time will tell. But speaking of people that actually made appearances in the episode, you know, Arthur obviously was just at at his pinnacle in this episode. I like that, you know, we're seeing Arthur at the point of being so close to accomplish his goal that, uh, like, he's really willing to do anything at this point to rid the world of evil. Like, I think, honestly, one of my favorite parts about Arthur in this episode was just the the game of 3D chess that he was playing. Like he knew that there was a credible threat 
against him. So what he did is he removed Kanchu from the equation and then split up Mark and Layla by revealing what happened to Layla's father. So that kind of just like threw her like off kilter, considering that she's the most resourceful person that they have. Absolutely. She's definitely like the the glue that keeps everything going and keeps everything together because she's like level-headed. She's smart. She knows what she's doing. She's capable. Yeah, and seeing him like go through and take the time to really break her down was it was it was interesting because you know, like as we'll discuss, it seemed like he he could have taken a different path to get to this tomb, but he did take the time to confront Layla without Mark, and I think confronting Layla without Mark was a good move on his part. Absolutely. Though I do find it really interesting that in this episode because if you said everybody's in like true form or whatever um this is the first time that we've seen harrow kill someone without using the cane yep and that that's what i really liked about this episode and him he just shot mark in the chest um shot mark in the chest and then was like i can't help anyone who's not willing to help themselves like i feel like i i honestly i honestly feel like this was harrow being so close to achieving the uh, his ultimate goal that he kind of reverts back into that like Harrow that was once Moon Knight, that person that liked to deliver out uh, pain in Kanchu's name. Absolutely, because like he cannot say that he did that in like Amit's name in the same way that he can all the other deaths because he wasn't using Amit's power to like deal out justice. And this is the first time we've seen him kill somebody and not like apologize or there be some like semblance of like empathy or regret for their situation. Like he clearly says like I can't help anybody who doesn't help themselves and right. then shoots him in and shoots him in the chest twice with his old ass World War II fucking pistol. Not once, but twice. <laughs> right, because he could have shot him one time, and and like that would have been enough. But it was it was interesting because you know before he wax he, he will sit here and wax poetic about how Kanchu, like how it was the day after Kanchu left him and everything, and he like loved the silence and the peace. Um, and then he's you know he tells Mark like, oh, you're a free man, and like you get to make all of these important choices now. And then he kills him. He just shoots him in the chest. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, Mark was swinging an axe at people, but at the same time, there was enough. There were enough guys to subdue Mark without his Moon Knight powers. So interesting, interesting choice. And then I think like my favorite part was you know the uh, the the nod to the Lemire run where once Mark ends up in this asylum, like. Uh, Arthur is his psychiatrist and his therapist, just like talking to him about his condition, um, which was which was really honestly like peak Arthur Harrow, but also shout out to Ethan Hawke mm-hmm. because they really set him up in the same way that they set up the um, psychiatrist in the Lemuron, where it was like very much trying to convince Mark to accept this sort of fake reality, like that Mark has an issue and that everything that he knows and loves and has believed in is a lie when that is not actually the case. Right. 
But do you know how you can tell you're not in a false reality? How? By listening to a conveniently placed ad break. We'll be right back. Now that we're back from this conveniently placed ad break, let's talk about some character quotes. So in the usual for an episode, we've got some Arthur Harrow quotes. The first we're going to talk about is not, you know, a direct Arthur Harrow quote, is him quoting another villain from the uh, from the Tomb Buster video or movie. No tree can ascend to the light of heaven if it doesn't descend to the depths of hell. What a perfect quote for Arthur and a perfect quote for Ahmet. Yeah. Because this basically wraps up, or this basically summarizes their their entire pro their entire approach and the entire belief system of the followers. Like, you know, in order for the world, in order for there to be heaven on earth, you must remove evil at its root. So they'll willingly kill babies and people who haven't done anything yet in order to achieve this like perfect world. Yeah, it's it's very akin to that quote that we discussed in earlier episodes of like, you know, it's all about the dosage. Like medicine can be poison, poison can be medicine. It's all about the dosage. I feel like that, like you got to get your hands a little bit dirty if you want some good kind of situation. Yes. Also, before we go into our our next quote, I have a surprise quote I'm going to throw in here. Oh God. So I I really was was thinking about this earlier, and a quote that I liked was just when Arthur yelled at Layla to wake up. Um, he truly yelled that. That's yeah. like the the loudest I've heard that man's voice through this entire show. And like that was very that was a very interesting thing to to say to Layla to wake up mm-hmm. because like Arthur himself is a person that you would really feel like needs to wake up in this show. Yeah. It's like Arthur is a very, like he's very, this very stoic and nice, you know, nice appearing person that he does all these things for this, this community. He strives to remove evil. He strives to help people, to share knowledge, to feed the poor, every nice thing that, uh, you know, you're supposed to do. Yeah. But you know, that he's not, he's not out here with the social media videos, like videotaping him, giving a, homeless person like a handful of hundreds like he's being genuine in his help and not doing it for the gram yeah like he's out here really doing good and but like at the same time the more we get to know arthur the more we see that arthur is basically led by his pain like the pain of of losing kachu and the pain of not being I feel like it's the pain of losing Kanchu. It's the pain of not being able to deal out justice. And it's the pain of knowing that the justice he was dealing out was not like not delivered sooner. So people were still getting hurt. He is a person that really needs to wake up and realize that like you're not going to be able to help everybody. You can only do what you can. But like he is so far down the rabbit hole that he's willing to kill everybody. Yeah, and like clearly he's willing to like kind of like regress back into that like I'm gonna shoot Mark twice in the chest, like I'm, you know, back under Conchu. Yeah. Instead of being the like genuine warm person that I have been doing judgment for Amit. Yeah, and I mean also he's like definitely 
he is definitely willing to let some of his men apparently get sliced and diced and turn into mummies too. Right. <laughs> hey, you know, just uh, it's all part of the cause. They knew what they signed up for. I mean, probably not, but I don't. I don't think he led with "you might die from a hack a priest." I just to let you know. <laughs> a blue zombie. <laughs> and I think then the next quote that we have, I think, is my favorite of the episode, and it's also from Arthur. Not surprisingly, but it's when he says. It's just a question of context and perspective after he does his whole pen analogy where it's like, this is a writing utensil to me, whereas it's a chew toy for my dog. Both of them are right. And I, I really like that just generally as something you need to keep in mind when you're living your life, but it particularly for this show, like in how judgment and how like justice are handled like, you can both be accurate. Like, we've had so many quotes from Arthur alone being like, we kind of, like, we agree with this, dude. Like, the concept is right. That just the, your execution of it, probably a little unethical. Right. And, I mean, even even bringing ethics into the discussion, those ethics are still going to be from the perspective of the per exactly. person. Exactly, exactly. So, like, yeah, this was a really interesting quote. I hated his pin analogy. I did. I personally hated his pen analogy. Why did you hate his pen analogy? Because I was like, chew toy. A pen is not a chew toy, even if a dog chews on it. It is to that dog, and that's the point. Hey, you're going to get ink Anything's a chew toy to a dog. <laughs> get, get ink on it, man. I'm like, that is, uh, like, I don't know, man. I was like, I kind of disagree with, with your analogy, but I like your point. Your point makes sense, more sense to me. But it's like, very much, this, this entire series has been this whole big debate about uh justice and vengeance and what is true justice and what is true vengeance mm -hmm. and who does it right and like over and over and over and over again in a big circle it's like killing a baby yeah well if that baby turns out to be hitler is you know right it, but but at the same time it's like what if that baby doesn't and they just i don't know we never we never ask what is evil we just kind of label things good or bad right and that is that is literally the whole this this whole quote about context and perspective put in. It's like, what is evil to Ahmet? Yeah, you know what what from from Ahmet's perspective, and and by whatever you know system and place that Ahmet has for judging the souls of people, like what is what what is considered evil? Because like old boy and the the what was it the second episode or the first episode that uh you know got his scales red and they were like yeah cool you're you're fine what you know what is what if it was just like he did some things that weren't just that weren't considered evil by Ahmet but were considered like kind of shitty by other people yeah like and for I instance joining a cult that's trying to destroy the fucking world right but I also want to know like and I mean obviously you know we're dealing with gods and this is the mcu like yep. we multiverses are a thing now like i want to know if time adjusts any of that like if this is set in stone like you're going to be because i judged you at this random sunday in whatever if your scales are are even now 
Like, I know she can see your your past, your present, your future, but if you get judged and you're like, oh, you're a good person, and you yourself know that, like, anything I do is probably good because Ahmet told me it was. Right. Is there a chance for you to, like, veer off from that? Like, do you have that, like, free will kind of aspect of this? Or, like, legitimately are you good? And maybe that's part of the reason why that old woman kind of, like... I was like, what the fuck, man? Because maybe she genuinely was a good person, but if she would have gotten the scale read of you are a good person, maybe she just would have assumed that anything she did was the right answer and that would have turned her down that path of evil. I mean, yeah, I would say that if I got judged to be good, I'd just go start doing some some crazy things. Be like, everything I do is good now. Like, I mean, Amit told me. (laughs) Take a poop on the ground (laughs) and like throw like a sledgehammer at a baby or something. It's like... You didn't Amit judge told me. me it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just like go in there. Just like, I think I've done enough good things. But then again, someone can, you know, there's the whole life is chaos thing of being like, well, Ahmet would know that you know that you're going to do something like that. And you exactly. Know. You can go circles and circles with this. I think it's a like a <laughs> an interesting topic <laughs> to think on, but which is a good segue, I think, into us just talking generally about the questions that we have. Yes. Our burning questions for this episode. Um, honestly, the big burning question came after like the second time I watched this episode. Um, there's a scene towards the end where they're going into Alexander the Great's tomb. And when Arthur appears, he's got the scarab that's supposed to point you to Ahmet's Ushapti. But then we see before that his men are getting chased around and mummified by Heka priests. And they're like trying to find new ways in and people are shooting and just getting murdered by like clickers from the last of us. So like right. if, if, Harrow had the scarab this whole time. Why the fuck didn't he know where to go? Or right. was like, or was this just a whole big ploy to get to where Layla was? Right. Like you did, like you said, they're playing chess. Yeah. Maybe he's like, I could sacrifice. Let me, let me like, we'll just go to see if there's anything else cool around these other paths before we we kind of like get to where we're going because we know we'll meet up with them eventually. Possibly. Yeah, because I feel like it was like, let's stop the United Front before it's a thing. Yeah. And that's what it it felt like to me. It was like, okay, well, if we just go the direct route, they'll probably stop us somewhere or make some attempt to stop us. And to eliminate the chance that that attempt will work, let's just break their spirits now. Like Bane breaking Batman's back with his leg. No, I do. Like, (laughs) yes, definitely. But I think also, like, I feel like they got there early enough to where if they did take the direct route, they would have beat Mark, Steven, Layla. They would have gotten Ahmed Sushapti and they probably could have immediately like done whatever they needed to do unless this wasn't like the final thing. Unless there was like another leg of this trip or something that he needed to perform or do or like... My my only thought is that the reason he didn't go directly there was because they got jumped by those zombies. <laughs> and, like, yeah. it scattered everybody. And then it was that's, just, like, regroup, regroup. That's probably more of an accurate, like, reason for anything. of that. They probably did try to go immediately there and then got, you know. And since, like, they were had to handle the zombies since they got there first, it was, like, probably yeah. smarter for him. He's on that, uh, he's, he's on that, that, 3D chess, man. Everybody else is playing checkers in here. Man was like, well, I see your zombies, but... Let me raise you. (laughs) 
see your zombies. I'm about to sacrifice a couple pawns, and then I'm going to go and break their queen. And then just leave Mark alone, and then Mark is easy to topple. Because, you know, Mark is going to try to fight, and I'm going to shoot him with my tiny-ass World War II pistol. Mark is self-destructive enough. (laughs) He probably wasn't worried about Mark at all. (laughs) But I also look at it like, like, okay, so we have these Hecka priests in here. And, like, honestly, I really liked them and the whole, like, clicker from The Last of Us thing. Mm -hmm. But my thing was, like, you have these immortal, ancient, wizard, zombie, mummy people. And you have all of these guys with AK-47s. But somehow, the majority of these guys get rocked by Layla with a flare, who Layla wasn't, like, using flares for everything in that episode, except for what flares are normally used for. (laughs) And a guy who's like really skittish pushing like an old ass shelf on top of one of these guys. And yeah, that was enough to do it. But bullets. Yeah, but like somehow no. I was like, we're messing with the AKs. I feel like I like like even we, Arthur. I, ca- I feel like we've got some stormtrooper shooting methods like, you know, like even Arthur kept a thing on him and just was like, oh, I only got to <laughs> use two bullets. Everybody else is like wildly firing in the back. And like we see one of those guys get drug in and mummified. I mean, and he's clearly better at killing people than anybody who is following him. Yeah, I would have been like, what the fuck? Like Dave over here was firing the AK-47 and still got caught by a zombie. Layla gets yanked into a rock crevice like it's Legend of the Hidden Temple and comes out with that thing's hand and then stabs it with a flare so like very very uh very questionable uh henchmen like i got your bargain barrel cult members like maybe teach them how to shoot um but yeah no like honestly something that 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 really got under my skin but but moving on to our next question yeah i think the biggest question that i have um from this week's episode is that just like generally where are they going to go from here? Yeah. And I think like, you know, there like uh, so many questions, so many questions off of that. Just bit one big general one. Like, are we traveling to the afterlife now or is this the afterlife? Like, how are we connecting? Like what of the Lumiere run are we really pulling in here? Are they going to, are they just pulling that like the location bit and they're doing something completely different with it? Or are we kind of going down that path? Well, I mean, I would, I think, I would say that we are not in the afterlife. And the reason I'd say we're not in the, we are not in the afterlife yet is because um, I think that, I mean, Arthur wouldn't be there. I don't know if Arthur would be there or if that is Ahmet as Arthur. Yeah, it could be. And it could also just be them using familiar people well, in I, their lives to just like include in this what whatever space that we are in happening right now. But like in the Lemire run, they had, you know, his therapist or psychiatrist was not Ahmet, but it was like what, Dr. Amut or Emmet Emmet? Dr. Emmett, who was supposed to, I think, be a moot or something. Yeah, it was just like, well, that was his his, his depiction in yeah. his head when Kanchi was messing with him. But like, like. Uh, that was a, another question that I did have is like, is that really Arthur or is it going to be Amit? Yeah, like that's it's, it's possible. And then like, I wonder if like, like, where are they exactly where Mark 
gets to access his alters mm-hmm. in physical form. Because, like, I feel like if he had just, I don't know, I feel like if he had just died, then maybe, I don't know. I don't know how this works, to be honest. No, I, and, like, Moon Knight as a character has died and been resurrected many a time. Normally by Khonshu and, 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 like, in other runs, other things happen, but, like, that it would not be out of the realm of possibility for him to be dead right now. Yeah, I mean, even in the Lemire run, he jumped off a pyramid because he didn't want Conchu to get his body and came back. So Right. So, like, he... But uh, generally in the Lemire run, like, w- what is happening? <laughs> but... but, like, you know, I, I wonder... Yeah, that is a good question about, um, you know, being in the afterlife. And one thing I noticed... I put this down in our notes. I'm going to skip our next question and come back to it. But one thing I noticed is that um, in Arthur's office, they had all of the different, um, like, Egyptian deities. Yeah, mm-hmm. They had those, like, the vases of them, and you could see them when Mark was crawling away. I, like, focused on it for a second. But if you look in the background when he's talking to Mark, they did have a statue of Anubis on the other side. So it is possible that they're going to the afterlife. And, in, in uh, like, in the same way as the... In the Lemire run, like Anubis was able to like ferry them back. Yeah. So I'm wondering if we're going to get something like that. I hope so. Like, like, um, you know, when we first started this, I was always like, I do not want a one for one play of the comics into this series. But the Lemire run is my favorite run. So I'm not I do. I still don't want a one for one. But like, that's my favorite for them to have picked out pieces of. Yeah. So I'm. I'd be super stoked to see any bits of pieces of that in whatever form that they may take in this show. Yeah, definitely. And then um, our question that we skipped that we're going back to, Will, uh, I can't pronounce this God's name, Will. Will Towerette be an ally? And if she is, or even if she's not, will she have a connection to Hathor? I feel like giving a, being as nice as she was at the end, probably... She's I hope probably so. an ally. Like I, I think that she's probably going to to help out to some degree. I hope that she. I honestly, I ho- I honestly hope that she isn't just like there for like a few seconds and leaves. I kind of like really would love that to be like a character that sticks around for just a little bit. Yeah, and I, I would like it to be a character that also gives some like uh, some context to yeah. some of the things that are going around. Absolutely. But, like that's that's my big hope. Even if even if she's only there for a little bit, like I hope she provides a decent amount of context so that like. It can kind of tie everything together. I would also say, like, another question I'm thinking of that I know a lot of people who are not familiar with Moon Knight uh, would probably be wondering is who is in the other sarcophagus? Well, we have an idea of who's in the sarcophagus, but if this is, like, a mostly one-to-one Lemire run, it could be someone else. Yeah, that's true. So, like... It could. The obvious answer is it's it's our boy Jake Lockley, like free Jake Lockley. He didn't do nothing. <laughs> Hashtag. Hashtag. But he uh, but like, you know, it's obvious. Like, you know, we saw Mark murder or we saw someone murder those guys out in Egypt and neither Mark or Steven took credit for it. So chances are it's Jake. But chances are very low that it could also be the Mark as the Moon Knight. The space fighter that fought against werewolf. That would be so- <laughs> which is such that a- would be such a, a, like a, a right field kind of situation or something out of left field. But that would be 
I mean, honestly, it would be hilarious. I would love it. <laughs> I would be sad because it's not Jake. I'd be like, where the fuck is Jake? But it would be, it would be really funny if that would. Again, they would just like tease us and have it be like just a different person. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I'm an astronaut that fights werewolves and protects a human colony on the moon. Be- and because werewolves have overrun the Earth. <laughs> yeah, like that is going to be. <laughs> Like, it is very unlikely, but what we were saying is not complete gibberish and nonsense. That is a thing. He's got other altars that, you know, are outside of the big three. And that was one that was introduced in the Lemire run. And if you're sitting here confused, you'll be happy to know that Mark was just as confused as you were in yes. the Lemire run about who that guy was. <laughs> it's like, I think you're just new here. And that guy disappeared. So, like, like I, I do like, like... um I, I will say that what I, I do appreciate it about I do appreciate about the sarcophagus is the fact that um, it's most likely going to be Jake. This is most likely going to allow Mark to confront his condition and um, his separate altars. Yeah, but I think one of one of my last burning questions that I had for this episode, and it's really not just this episode, but it is a series up until this point, uh, is how is. How has Mark been able to be so unaware of Jake up until this point? Like, we can assume that Mark has been Moon Knight for at least 10 years based off of the timing of the dig incident. Yeah, and assuming that that is, I mean, now we kind of have a little bit of proof now that they've talked about the death of um, Layla's father. Like, he was supposed to die that night, but he didn't. Right. Guess who did that? And if you've looked at our Moon Knight 101 episode, you knew that, like, in the original run of Moon Knight, uh, Mark was shot by Raoul Bushman in a dig site inc- incident while trying to stop him. And he was laid in front of the altar of Kanchu, and that's how he became Moon Knight and made this deal, and he came back from the dead. So, like, it's safe to assume that uh, Layla's father fulfilled that role of, like, what Marlene did in the comics, resting Mark in front of that altar. And that's at least my assumption up until this point. Someone put him in front of there, and yeah. it probably was that dude. Um so it's, but it is, it is a good assumption to say that Mark has been Moon Knight for at least 10 years now. How has, and he has been aware of Steven for a, for a bit, mm-hmm. according to the episode, the previous, according to the previous episode with uh, Layla before they met Beck and the one dude. Yeah. So like, I'm wondering how is it that he is not aware of Jake or if Jake is a persona that he's used before? Yeah. If this is like, the origin of Jake as an altar. Yeah. I mean, like, I wonder if, like, he's used that persona of Jake Lockley as a cab driver while doing things because he's been Moon Knight for a long time delivering out justice. But who yeah, knows? Yeah, but I would, I would have to... I think, for me, I have to assume that if he's confused on who killed a bunch of people and doesn't immediately be like, oh, it's that... It's, like, it's Jake or, like, someone else. Like, the fact that there was no... Con- there was confusion on who was doing the murdering, I don't think that he has been aware that no, Jake has been a thing. I'm not saying that he's aware of his personality. I'm saying that he's used it as like an, uh, an alias. Oh. I'm wondering if he's ever used a Jake Lockley as an alias. Oh, yeah. And like a nod to the old comics where uh, both Steven and Jake started out as just like aliases, so nobody was aware of Mark's actions. So... I'm I'm just wondering if he's ever done anything like that, but I'm also just wondering has how he's never been aware of the fact that like there was a more murderous side because it always seems like they treated Steven like gently. Yeah. Like he's our baby boy Steven. But then again, when you have to spend all your time killing people for Conchu, it's probably like don't 
aren't super concerned about someone getting killed too much. Right. Honestly, these are our burning questions that will probably be answered in our next two episodes. And if they decide to bless us with a season two or a Moon Knight movie, hopefully a season two of Moon Knight and a Moon Knight movie, because that would be really cool. (laughs) Why not both? (laughs) Give Oscar Isaac more work because the man is talented. Yes. But but that is a good transition into our final section of this episode. Our final thoughts. Yeah. So I think overall, I honestly don't think that I could fangirl enough about where we left off in that episode. I am so excited about it. I truly cannot wait for the final two episodes to see what we have in store for us. But at this point, I have no doubt that regardless of how these next two episodes play out, it's going to be both entertaining and mind-blowing. Although... If you can't tell from the amount of time we talk about him, I really want to see Jake, like generally want to see him, even if it's just, I mean, I hope it's not just like a last minute reveal for the end, but I just want to have him revealed at some point. Um, And then other than that, I really want this to end with Layla being happy. Like I, this, that little scarab deserves all the happiness. I want her to get closure. I'm, I'm, uh, Similarly, I feel the same. Like, I really appreciated this episode. I really appreciated that the episode built up to a certain point and then kind of blew everybody's minds, even people that weren't Moon Knight fans. Like, I've seen so much stuff on the internet about what the hell happened at the end of this episode, but it was so good to see them, like, nod to the the Lemire run. I really want Jake to appear in the next two episodes. Um, I'm also curious about how we're going to establish some reconnection with Kanchu, but seeing as there's a god in the uh, in, in the works now, or god in play right now, that I feel like will be reunited with Kanchu soon enough. Um, or I'm wondering if they'll take a, uh, I'm wondering if they'll be like, we're going to depower Moon Knight since he doesn't really have powers kind of sometimes, sort of. Yeah, and there, there are runs where he's like you know he says in quote estranged yeah from his god so yeah so like wonder if we're gonna get kanju back at all um but i am curious to see what how things are gonna go and how they're gonna get out of this predicament and how mark is gonna come back from two bullets to the chest these and more questions will be answered on the next episode of night night specter we'll see you then With that, this is the truth learned, that being Moon Knight is not a curse, nor a state of penance. It's simply who and what he was always meant to be. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. Be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you under the blue moon.